0: Hey, everybody, it's Lon Seibin, and it's time once again for your weekly wrap-up, and we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about tonight, including a new deal between Amazon and Apple that kicks out unofficial resellers of refurbished Macs. This is a big area of concern. We're going to dive into that topic a bit. Defy Media, which is an MCN or multi-channel network, uh, closed its doors kind of unexpectedly and left a lot of creators hanging out to dry because now they are demonetized and have no way of getting the revenue they've earned Uh, from the company. We'll talk about that in a minute, too. Xbox One gets keyboard support. We'll dive a little bit into the Apple T2 chip and what it means for Hackintoshes, but also for the future of Apple's PCs. Why I use Apple stuff in the first place. And another viewer wants to know, why shoot 4K when you only upload at 1080p? Lots to talk about now, so let's get to it. And I want to begin by thanking our newest members here on the channel, including three via Patreon and one who upgraded his Patreon and also joined our regular donor box page. So Twin Axiom, Lawrence Olderbing, and Jose Osecho were all our new Patreon members this week. And Richard Werner also uh, joined us on the donor box page, but I think he also is still on the Patreon as well. I'll just email him this, make sure he wants to be in both places there. Uh, We also had some Super Chat participants because I did one of my random live streams the other night. I'll talk about that in a second. And a bunch of you chipped in via Super Chat We had Rockstar Brusky, Brian Parker, Zam, Vince Terranova, Anthony Biacco, and Tipster, who's got a YouTube channel of his own that you can check out on YouTube there. And I want to thank all of them for being a part of our live stream the other night, as well as making Super Chat contributions as well. But as usual, I also want to thank everybody just for watching, because all of those things, watching, commenting, and contributing if you can, all equal the channel growth. And I want to thank everyone for your continued support throughout the year. Now, we don't have an advertiser this week, but we do have a non-ad and affiliate link for Amazon's deal of the day. Uh, This is a page which is kind of like uh, Amazon Prime Day every day. You never know what's gonna be on sale, but a lot of times you can get a good deal. So check it out at the link you see on screen, and we'll get a little help as well if you buy something from Amazon. And now it's time for the weekend review. We've got two things that we unboxed on the Extras channel last week, the iPad Pro 11, where we compared it to the iPad Pro 10.5 from last year. We also unboxed the Mi Box S, which we reviewed on the main channel this past week, along with that iPad. And we also looked at the new Lenovo Yoga C930, which is a 14-inch 2-in-1 that's got an active stylus built in. Uh, so lots of good stuff to watch this week on the main channel. If you missed it, uh, you can find it all in the Master Playlist link down below. And if you're interested in that Uh, live stream that we did you can also find it on the master playlist typically with the live streams I don't have them get released to subscribers automatically after they're completed Uh, just because sometimes I've got a video already out there and I don't want to kill momentum of the video that I'm putting up as an on-demand product. So I might uh, release this one to subscribers next week, but you can see it now if you just uh, click on that playlist. And in that video, uh, what we did was we took a uh, old Sega CD that I just bought off of eBay and put it through the test. What happened was I got... Uh, that Mega SG ordered, which is the new uh, analog FPGA based Sega Genesis console. And one of the cool things about that modern console is that you can dock it with the original Sega CD unit. But I didn't have an original Sega CD. I owned one back in the day, but sold it when I stopped using it. Uh, so I basically rebought it on eBay. And it also came with a Model 2 Sega Genesis and a 32X. So I took everything out of the box and tested all of it while we had some back and forth chat. It was a very fun uh, little random live stream to do on a Saturday night, so you can check it out. uh, Link down below. It goes for about an hour and 46 minutes or so, and that was a really fun thing. And that console is not coming out until April, but I thought I would get the Sega CD now before the prices go up. I have a feeling that when the Mega SG is released, All of the Sega CDs that are still out there and functioning are going to become a lot more valuable, given that everyone will want one to pair up with their Mega SG. So get it while you can, because it might be harder to find in the coming months. Now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind, and this is week 90 of me doing this as a full-time occupation. Uh, Not much to report on the channel this week. I I turned 42, so I had a birthday, and I'm still ticking here, so that was good. Uh, But beyond that, we are uh, just cranking away here with more stuff to come later this week. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye, and this first story really concerns me. Uh, Amazon, after making a deal with Apple, is going to kick out all of the unauthorized Apple refurbishers, Uh, this story came from motherboard you can find it linked on screen here Uh, and what's going to happen now is that amazon will get more new apple products to sell in exchange for getting rid of all these refurbishers and first of all the apple refurbishers are doing nothing illegally Uh, they are buying equipment legally they're repairing it legally as we learned last week it's now even legal to bypass drm and crack it if it means getting the product back to its original form so there's nothing illegal happening here with these resellers but Uh, Because of this deal that Amazon and Apple struck, those folks are getting kicked off the platform and it could actually cost a lot of them their livelihoods. And this is just a continuing saga here where Apple is just making it not only impossible to fix your own computer, it's also making it difficult for people to get uh, refurbished computers that work perhaps as good as new ones might uh, because now they're making it harder for consumers to find them. Uh, this speaks to, though, how powerful these platforms have become and how we are all, to some degree or another, kind of at the whims of their terms of service. We all kind of agree to these things when we sign up, but when you look at landscape for being a reseller on the internet where are you going to go ebay and probably amazon and now amazon is off that list and as consumers are looking for computers they're going to be steered to new machines even though there might be a perfectly good and functional lower cost mac that they could have bought from a refurbisher now in the article it does say that these folks have the opportunity to become official apple certified resellers but uh, there is a lot of restrictions that goes into becoming official Uh, And one person in the article says they lose about 75% of their business if they became an official reseller because Apple restricts what they can and can't repair. So this speaks to just the the really anti-competitive behavior on the part of Apple, uh, which I think defies what is very much settled in law here in the United States, that you're able to resell anything you've bought under the first sale doctrine and have the right to repair it. Uh, So I think what needs to happen, first of all, is we've got to get more of this right to repair legislation pushed through uh, state legislatures. Hopefully Apple's competitors will start looking at this behavior and saying, you know what, we're going to start selling official parts out to people uh, so that we can maybe stand out a little differently in the market here. Uh, But also it speaks to just how powerful these platforms have become. I'm thinking about Amazon in this case, but you could easily make the connection to YouTube and other media platforms that uh, have a huge audience or a huge number of users and can very much determine uh, what people consume on the content side or what they can buy on the commerce side. And that really impacts markets here, I think, in an artificial way, especially when the products being sold are not being illegally sold yet Uh, They're being denied access to a platform that has a lot of opportunities for folks. So this is going to be the story, I think, of the next five to ten years, especially as it relates to these platforms we're all using and how big they've become. Uh, So here we have a huge company, Apple. Apple using their market influence over a huge platform, Amazon, and basically steering customers away from uh, really what should be a free and open marketplace. Apple's saying, nope, we're gonna get them all kicked off of here because we want everyone buying new or buying from a reseller that we have uh, anointed and are collecting some revenue from in the process. Uh, So right now, some customers might do better buying a used Mac on Amazon They're going to be steered away from that. It will undoubtedly influence the market given how big Amazon is. Uh, So this is certainly anti-competitive behavior on the part of uh, Apple and I think we're veering into an area where you might start looking at some of these platforms and wonder if we've got an antitrust issue too, because there are so few competitors to Amazon that can rise to their size. And there are of course, companies trying like Walmart and others, but no one's as big as Amazon right now in this online space. And Apple has essentially uh, adjusted the market there to its benefit. And this is a bad, bad thing. So let's hope we can see some movement in the right to repair movement, but it looks like these large companies are able to very effectively overpower power us consumers. And uh, I don't have a lot of confidence here. We're going to see much uh, movement in the right direction, unfortunately. And another company is potentially under some antitrust scrutiny, my favorite one, Comcast. Uh, It looks like the American Cable Association is asking the Department of Justice to probe Comcast's behaviors as being anti-competitive. The American Cable Association, or ACA, represents small cable companies and they are feeling a bit of pressure because Comcast is not only a competitor to them, uh, they also distribute content the way these small cable companies do, but Comcast also owns and makes content. They own TV networks, they own NBC, they own a number of cable networks as well, and Comcast is essentially charging, as all these networks do, they're charging these smaller cable providers to carry these networks, and the ACA is alleging that Comcast is squeezing them by raising the price to carry those networks and uh, refusing to carry certain other channels. And of course, customers like myself fear that services like Hulu and others that are not directly controlled by Comcast might lose some of the networks they have because Comcast could decide that you have to watch only on uh, their particular platforms. And this continues, of course, all the other issues that we have with Comcast, specifically where I am and the amount of bandwidth that's available to me. I got fiber optic running right by on my pole out there, but I can't get access to it even though it's right there. And I also can't get more than 10, 10 or 12 megabits per second upstream to run my business because there's no competition here and they feel like they can just do whatever they want. So we'll have to see what happens with this. This does not relate to their internet business, by the way. This is strictly about television but this could lead to other things we'll have to see where it goes and of course the department of justice has to actually decide to uh, follow through on this request which they haven't yet indicated they would one way or the other Uh, but again another example of how these companies get so big and control so much that it begins to squeeze the marketplace and make it harder for consumers and last week a major multi-channel network shutdown which has left a lot of youtube creators in the lurch Uh, Defy Media closed their doors abruptly. I think they were having some financial problems, but it looks like those problems came to a head and they basically just turned it off. And the problem though is that they have a lot of creators under their umbrella. And when you sign up for one of these horrible multi-channel network contracts, uh, you're basically having your channel go under their ownership essentially. And all the money that's earned by your channel goes to, in this case, Defy Media first before it gets routed out to you. And what's happened here, because they've shut down, uh, creators have earned money, probably for the last month or two from Defy Media, and now who knows if they're ever going to get paid. And to add insult to injury, they now have to go through the re-monetization process of having YouTube review their channel for monetization before they can turn on the spigot of money again. Uh, so this is a horrible situation for the creators that are involved with it. And whenever I see stories like this, I like to remind other creators that signing up for a multi-channel network is rarely a good thing for you. Uh, because they take money that they've had no part in earning. When you sign up, again, your AdSense goes to them. Uh, They often have you sign a contract where they can take anywhere from, you know, 10 to 30 to 40% of your AdSense revenue, and they often don't deliver anything of value in return. They promise you they're going to get you more sponsorships and all this other stuff, but in reality, a lot of times, these networks are almost like pyramid schemes where the money they make off the little channels uh, is enough to support the larger channels that they have at the top, which leads to more recruitment. It almost becomes like a pyramid or a Ponzi scheme in that if they don't keep recruiting more small channels, they can't keep the network together. Uh, they often reach out to you saying, hey, you can join the ranks of Smosh and all these other amazing YouTubers. We think you're just as good as, as them, but really what it's about is taking more of your money. And in this case, uh, they took the money and, and may not actually get it to the people that it's owed to. So if you get one of those contracts, Have a lawyer look at it first if you really want to sign up for the multi-channel network. But again, in this day and age, I think you're better off remaining independent. I did the math on on my channel over the last four or five years. It would have been a lot of money that I would have given to somebody for really nothing. Uh, So you can build your channel on your own. You don't need these folks. They often have a good sales pitch, but trust me, it's not worth it. And when this kind of stuff happens, it can leave a lot of good people uh, out of business because of how these networks operate. And on a lighter and perhaps more fun note, it looks like the Xbox One is going to gain keyboard and mouse support this week. Uh, It's going to start with Fortnite and Warframe. Uh, that's kind of interesting. I'm actually intrigued to see what else might come out of this because uh, the Xbox One really is a pretty capable, low-cost PC, and we've seen a number of examples now where you've got these apps that are universal to Windows and Xbox. Uh, Perhaps we might see word processors and some other stuff come out of this as well. Perhaps maybe a decent web browser you can navigate with a mouse and keyboard, and it might turn the Xbox into kind of a a decent little mini PC that can play games, too, because they're not all that large, they're not all that expensive, yet they are fully capable of doing some of the PC things that are out there. We'll have to see if this goes beyond gaming, but I did think it was interesting. Uh, You can see more on the Polygon article I have here on screen. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers, and our first question came in from Commodore256, who's curious about the new... T security chips that are in every Mac, and he feels like this will probably kill off the Hackintosh, and I agree with that. So as you all know, uh, Macs are running with Intel processors, the same ones that we have in all of our Windows machines that are out there. As you'll hear in a few minutes, I switched to Mac after they switched to Intel, and I'll give you my reasons for that uh, when we get a little later into the Q&A segment here. Uh, But as a result, if you built the right machine with the right components, you could largely uh, get OS X to work just like it does on a Mac, but on a much less expensive machine. And what Apple has started doing, probably in response to that, but also because I think of security issues, uh, is that they've begun developing their own means of controlling the system's functions with their own silicon. So Apple on the uh, Mac side is not yet making the processors that go into the computers. They do on the iPad and iPhone Uh, But they're now taking some of the technology that is in use on those devices that they control the whole stack for and moving it over to the Mac. So my MacBook Pro here has the fingerprint sensor. It had the first version of that T chip that managed mostly the fingerprint uh, reading and whatnot. Uh, But the new chip here called the T2 uh, that is in the Mac Mini that we'll be reviewing later this week and the new MacBook Air is a significantly different type of chip that does a lot more I got an article here up on screen from Apple Insider that can give you more detail, Uh, but here are some of the things that it handles. It's a system management controller, so it controls a lot of what goes on within the computer. It still controls Touch ID. It still has the secure enclave where it stores your fingerprints and whatnot. Uh, Some people don't realize this, but the uh, Mac, and I think Windows to some degree also, does not transmit your fingerprint data back to Apple. It stays within the Uh, storage of the computer and the secure enclave is where that stuff is secured. That's why when you get a new computer, a new iPhone or a new Mac, you have to redo your fingerprint or your face ID uh, because it doesn't uh, sync that data up with the cloud. So it handles that. Uh, It also though handles the microphone and the camera and it does this for security, but it's also doing processing to improve the uh, performance and the quality of the images and audio coming through and apparently the T2 chip is doing a much better job with both, and you can see some examples of that uh, in that Apple Insider article. Uh, But what they've also added now for the MacBook Air uh, is that when you close the lid, there is a hardware disconnect uh, in that chip that turns the microphone off physically. It actually disconnects the electrical uh, connection to make that happen. Uh, So you've got a a very secure way of securing your microphone when the computer's asleep. Uh, close the lid, the microphone is off. That's a feature that they just added to T2. Uh, does that image and audio processing, as I mentioned. It works as a solid-state controller, and that includes encryption. Uh, so my understanding here is that the T2 will encrypt the solid-state storage, even if you don't specifically enable that in OS 10. Uh, the trade-off, though, is that your solid-state storage... Uh, is soldered onto the main board. That's the case with the uh, Mac Mini I just picked up, and I believe with the MacBook Air as well. You can't upgrade the storage because it's tightly integrated into that T2 chip. Uh, So whether or not that's a benefit is up to you, uh, but that is how it works. So it does uh, enable encryption right out of the gate there. It also has secure boot, uh, which prevents non-Apple OSs from loading, but you can turn that off. Uh, They do have a carve-out for Windows if you're using Boot Camp, Uh, But my method of booting off an external drive with Windows to go may not work under that scenario. So you might have to disable the uh, secure boot completely for that to work. And apparently when you disable secure boot, you lose the fingerprint sensor as a result because they can't uh, guarantee the security of the operating system after you disable that. So that's a trade-off there as well. Uh, And also interesting is that it's got HEVC video transcoding built into that processor And as HEVC becomes more and more important for video production, I suspect that this might actually be something that speeds up the process of editing video and exporting video as well. Uh, They haven't touched on a lot of detail on this. It was kind of mentioned in the uh, presentation when they were doing their product announcement last week or the week before. Uh, So I think that's a pretty big change as well. My prediction here, though, is that we're moving away from Intel on the Mac side. As we saw in my review of the iPad last week, uh, it really is very powerful and nothing really meets that power yet. There's no software that really takes advantage of it. And I think what's happening here is that Apple is trying to get to a point uh, where the T2 chip combined with their ARM processors that they're using on the iPad side, uh, probably in the next year or two, maybe a little bit longer, uh, will result in a little MacBook Uh, like this one that will be more powerful than some of the Intel chips that you might get in this form factor and fanless because they have really optimized their chips for the specific types of consumer tasks that uh, people typically do. So video watching and editing and uh, photo editing and all those things that are very specific kinds of tasks. These ARM chips are doing exceptionally well on the iPad platform. They've been rivaling desktop processors for a while in those areas. I think it's only a matter of time before we actually see Apple, uh, maybe not for their full Mac product line, but for a portion of it, uh, start moving in that direction. Because I have a MacBook, I bought it back in 2015. It's got the Core M chip in it. It's a little sluggish. It handles video editing, but not great. It doesn't do anything all that spectacularly. And if I could get something that uh, could rival perhaps a mid-range A larger Intel laptop and something in this form factor with really good battery life, that would be very appealing to me, especially if I could edit video on the road with a smaller package. Right now, when I go out on a field exercise like uh, CES or something, I'm bringing the big 15-inch MacBook with me. I'd much prefer to travel with this, but I just can't edit my video and export it all that quickly on something like this, and that might be uh, what we see in the very near future. And you only have to look over at what Microsoft and Qualcomm are doing, getting Windows 10, their full version of Windows 10, to run on Qualcomm Snapdragon processors. We looked at that Asus NovaGo recently, uh, which is essentially running with a smartphone processor, the same exact chip that's on many uh, flagship phones. They put it inside this laptop. It ran Windows 10. It ran things that were ARM optimized, but it also ran Intel software uh, much better than I expected it to. It wasn't a spectacularly fast laptop, but it had great battery life, and I think this is where Apple is going as well. And I would argue that Apple's chip designers are as talented as Qualcomm's folks, and maybe even more so because they've done... Quite a bit in the last year between the iPad 10.5 and the iPad 11 uh, that processor on the iPad 11 is just way too overpowered for the software library that's available for it, and I think we're very, very close to the point where one of those chips is going to be fast enough to drive OS 10. So we'll keep an eye on this. I think in the next year or two, we're gonna see a Mac about this size that uh, will put the current MacBook to shame and deliver greater battery life powered by an Apple ARM processor. Let's see if I'm right in a year. And this next question comes in from Eric Bazinga who is curious as to why do I continually like Apple products so much, even though they treat me like crap in the Apple store and I have a lot of issues from time to time with how Apple treats their customers on a broader scale, like we just talked about uh, with that Amazon story. And of course, their products cost a lot more money than comparable Windows computers. And the answer really is the fact that by and large, My Macs work. When I turn them on and go to get to work, I don't have to spend a lot of time trying to fix some crazy glitch that happened or uh, pull out some piece of malfunctioning hardware or something like that. I have found that when your Mac is working, it tends to work for a very long period of time and it works the same way. Now, Microsoft has made a lot of progress on Windows 10 over the last three or four years. I think they've caught up a lot to uh, where Apple's quality was three or four years ago. Uh, but back when I switched over, it was a big deal because I was losing productivity. The busier that I got, uh, the more I was finding that Windows was slowing me down at the time. I knew how to fix all those problems, but I had to make a decision here. Am I you know, doing my day job or am I fixing this computer to try to get the job done? And I found with my Macs that generally, like I said, once they get up and running and are working, I don't have a lot of trouble with them. In fact, uh, Corey in the back there is still using my MacBook Pro from twenty twelve and editing video. That thing's been running essentially, you know, ten to fifteen hour days nonstop for six and a half years and it's still going, really replacing it because it can't handle the 4K video very well. Uh, but beyond that, it's been a great experience that uh, I certainly got my money's worth out of, and then some, because the longevity of the product, the fact that it's worked consistently for that length of time has made a big difference. Now, my first Mac that I uh, bought my, for my own usage was a, of course, the 94 PowerBook I had in college, but uh, really the modern times here was a PowerBook uh, G4, the 12-inch one, and I bought it for two reasons. One was that I was doing a lot of presentations and I needed a really good presentation platform to do them from. And you know, Windows had PowerPoint, but it wasn't anywhere nearly as good as what I was seeing with Keynote, uh, which I still use to this day to do the uh, weekly wrap-up videos and other things here. It's a tremendously good presentation platform. I actually use it as a video production tool because it's got alpha channels for videos that you export from it, so I can even make lower thirds and graphics and whatnot with, Uh, Keynote, it's a very powerful presentation tool, and that was only available on the Mac. So the funny thing was, at my day job, I was using Windows computers to do all my uh, work during the day, but then if I had a presentation to do, I would switch over to my Mac, and the more I used the Mac, the more I preferred it to Windows. It just had a better interface, things just felt like uh, they were flowing better. Uh, and it was just a better experience overall. And then when uh, they announced the switch to Intel, that kind of sold me because I said, hey, I can get all these great applications that I'm using for presentations and for video production, uh, but I can now also run the Windows applications on it as well. Uh, So I was able to boot up Parallels, for example, and just get a fully functional Windows installation on the same computer. It was kind of the best of both worlds kind of scenario for me, and that... Uh, really got me into the Mac ecosystem. And then over the years, you just kind of get more ingrained in it. Uh, Final Cut Pro is the editing software that we use that's only available for the Apple platform. Uh, it's come a long way, but I liked it from day one because it's so efficient for the type of video that I create. I don't do a lot of fancy special effects. We're stringing clips together. Uh, it's a very intuitive application. It's easy to use once you understand exactly how it works and. I've been very, very pleased with it. So I like that. I like the longevity of the hardware that I've gotten uh, over the years from them. And I also like the fact that everything's really well integrated. My phone integrates well with everything. I think the AirPods even, they just switch between my devices so easily. It's just a good ecosystem. Now that said, I've seen manufacturers over the last five and five or six years or so get a lot better at developing hardware that competes with Apple stuff. And I think if I was uh, in the mode of, I'm looking for something different now, I probably would end up with one of these nicer Windows machines because they're uh, just as well constructed in many cases. They cost less. Windows 10 has come a long way, of course, but again, I think I'm so ingrained and just stuck here on the Mac operating system with the uh, apps that are only available for Mac that I use that I'd have a hard time switching away from it. And again, I still think there's an argument here for things that just work. If I'm spending most of my time producing video and editing video and uploading video versus fighting with the hardware, uh, I think there is some value in that. And jumping back to Eric's main question here, you know, over the years doing this job, I get a lot of... Um, I would say passionate feedback from viewers when I say something favorable about an Apple product or when I say something favorable about a non-Apple product and maybe imply it does something better than that Apple product does. And I think we get into our camps about what's good versus what isn't and people like to fight it out over uh, which brand is better. I try not to get myself into that because the way I look at it is these companies are making billions upon billions of dollars. Uh, Let them have that fight with their marketing budgets. Why don't we go out and try to find what's best for each particular use case? For me, Apple products work well for a majority of what I do, but not everything. In fact, I use Android on my televisions more than I use Apple on my TVs. I've got four Nvidia Shields and one Apple TV, which largely stays off until I need to do something here on the channel for it. So again, your, your needs are what they're going to be, and the best thing I can do is to give you the best information about what the strengths of these products are so that you can make the decision as to whether or not that product will fit into what uh, you need to get done. I try not to become an evangelist here. Some people say, oh, because you use Apple, you're biased in that way. No, in fact, if anything, I think the fact that I use Apple so much uh, helps me appreciate some of these features that I'm seeing on non-Apple products. Really, the build quality of laptops over the years has gotten so much better, I say, you know what? This thing feels every bit as good as a Mac. Certainly that Huawei laptop I looked at a few weeks ago felt every bit as good as the MacBook Air I bought for my wife a couple of years ago. It's very well constructed, performs great, costs less, and I can really appreciate how good it is because I use uh, Apple stuff so often, and likewise, I think I'm finding things on the Apple side that sometimes are better than what I'm seeing in other areas, and that might be a place where a consumer might have a better experience. So that's the approach that I take with it. Uh, So what I use, I don't think necessarily tarnishes my view of other products. I just try to find what works best I think this world would be a better place if we could all uh, just agree that everyone's decisions are their own and they can uh, make up their minds as uh, responsible and informed citizens. And that is my take on the whole hardware war there. And this next question came in from Guy 19 who was asking about 4K editing on my old MacBook Pro and why do I really need to create my videos in 4K? Is it something I feel that I need to do for analytics or that people are asking for? Uh, well, the reason really comes down to, for me at least, having some extra resolution to play with from my raw footage. So for example, uh, whenever you see those unboxing videos that I do on the Extras channel, I generally shoot those with my iPhone here, uh, 4K at 60 frames per second. Now generally, my videos that I upload are 1080p, uh, but because I am editing 1080p but shooting at 4K, I've got more resolution to play with here. So let's take a look at a quick demo, and we'll pull up my MacBook Pro here so you can see what I'm talking about. Uh, so here we've got an unboxing that i'm working on right now and if i go over to the uh, clip here i can actually do something that i can't do if i was just shooting 1080p and retain quality which is zoom in so uh, here we've got this video i can go to 200 percent here and pick up a lot more detail uh, on this device without losing quality when i zoom in because i'm basically shooting at essentially twice the resolution, or actually four times the resolution uh, that I'm editing at. And you've got a lot of flexibility there. Uh, To some degree, it almost allows you to have an extra camera uh, because you can cut up a video in such a way and make it look like you had two different cameras running even though you only had a single one. So if I had two people standing next to each other, I could zoom in on one person talking and then cut to the other one talking. It'll look like a lot more of an interesting presentation and you wouldn't see all that much of a performance degradation uh, when you did that zoom. So you can see here just why shooting in 4K is important and a lot of the newer Intel chips are optimized for handling this resolution of video. Uh, So what's funny is that if we edit a 1080p file out of my TriCaster here on that Mac, No problem. It just handles it. It works fine. You can even export the video at a decent clip uh, because that Intel chip was optimized for 1080p video. That was one of the great things about that particular computer. Uh, But 4K just kills it because it doesn't have those hardware optimizations. And then when we bring in these files, uh, they do have to be transcoded from my iPhone when they come in. Uh, The newer computers just handle it a lot better. So it's taking a lot more time to edit. And I really think it's important that if you have a 4K camera, you should shoot at 4K because it does give you that flexibility when you're in editing to do more with it. Uh, My plan is, though, at some point to switch over to 4K workflows for everything else that I do here. Uh, Both of the cameras that I use here in the studio can output 4K. My TriCaster only does 1080p at the moment. Uh, Every year at the end of the year, they offer an incentive to upgrade. So I'm going to see what kind of deals they've got. Uh, And if they do offer a good enough deal, I might upgrade to the 4K TriCaster just because it will... Uh, I think be something viewers will be looking for in the near future. A lot of people are starting to watch on television, a lot of people are watching on 4K displays, and there's definitely a difference in sharpness between a 1080p YouTube video on a 4K display versus a real 4K YouTube video on a 4K display. So I'm keeping uh, my options open there. Uh, My only issue, though, is my upload speed, because if I go to 4K, my files will be that much larger and take that much more time to upload. So Uh, I think one of the things that I was excited about, if I could get that Gigabit Pro connection from Comcast, which I can't get, unfortunately, uh, that would have delivered me two gigabits upstream. It would have been very easy to upload a 4K video at that point. So we'll keep all those things in mind, but I am definitely going to go in that direction just because displays are only getting uh, more resolution and I want to make sure I don't look cloudy (laughs) on those because that might be enough to turn a viewer off and go somewhere else. And my Q&A for you is what resolution are you watching your favorite creators at? Do you have a 4K display that you're using? Let me know down in the comments below. It'll help me make some decisions for the coming year. And our channel of the week this week is one that I thought I had recommended in the past, but I have not. It is Captain Disillusion. I know I've talked about him before. And this guy is really just a tremendously talented person. So what he does is he looks at a lot of these videos that you see on the internet that everybody thinks are real, but he debunks them. He shows you how they're done. He's a professional skeptic and is a tremendously talented guy because not only is he good at uh, writing and telling a good story, he's also very good at delivering that story uh, and doing all of the special effects that he does in his videos. And they are remarkably good. It's amazing just how good he is. And his talent doesn't stop there because he's also very good at live presentations too. So, of course, he you know, is asked to do these keynotes from time to time and he goes all out Uh, full-on performance that integrates his video with a live presentation. Uh, There's three of them up on his channel now. They're all excellent. And if you are looking for ideas as to how to improve your presentation skills, you got to watch what he does. I don't think any of us could ever come close to how good he is at it, Uh, but he is just an amazing talent. And I'm so happy that he's finally up to the point where people are recognizing this. He's up to 1.1% Million subscribers, but that level of subscribership is recent. He spent a long time uh, building this channel. I think he's been on for the last ten years or so. And if you look back in 2015, only three years ago, he only had 76,000 subscribers. He really didn't start hitting his stride for the, until like the last year and a half or so when people really started to discover him. And this is a good example of why you got to stick with it. If you're good, you will be found, and people will start to. Uh, come around what you 're up to, and I think once you hit that threshold, the growth then becomes exponential. Uh, maybe one day it 'll happen to me, who knows, but i 'm really happy for him because this guy really deserves the um, the attention that he 's getting, and he 's finally to a point where I think his subscriber count and his viewership uh, is is at the level that his talent is, and this was a, a really good example of why you just got to keep going, even when it 's discouraging. Uh, it will happen to you as well if you uh, invest the time and that is certainly what he has done so check out his channel if you've never seen it before you're in for a treat you will spend hours going through everything he's got there every single one of his videos are really entertaining so check him out so this week on the channel i've got a couple of things planned uh, the latte panda alpha is in the house now we've been playing with it for the last couple of days Uh, This is a single-board computer that's powered by a Core M3 processor. It can run Windows or Linux, and we are just uh, almost done doing our full evaluation on it, so look for that a little later in the week. It also has an Arduino built in. I'm not much of a maker, so I'm not going to be covering all that much of the Arduino stuff, but I'll try to find some other channels that have and tell you about them in the video so you can get uh, more on some of those individual things there. But I think it's kind of cool to have... Uh, a really functional Intel computer on something so small. And I got a couple other things I'm going to be playing around with uh, this week on it as well. So stay tuned for that. Might be a fun one to look at. I also got in a single drive Synology NAS uh, that costs under $100. Uh, So we'll be looking at that one this week as well. It's the DS-119. So that was something I was excited to look at. And we also will probably start venturing into this thing, which is the MISTER, You've probably heard about this if you follow some of the emulation channels out there. Uh, What it is, is a a FPGA-based computer with some additional parts added onto it. And it's become, I think, the real uh, next step for the emulation scene in that people are able to recreate, through that FPGA chip, simulations of classic computers and classic game consoles. It's already running the Sega Genesis and the TurboGrafx-16 Uh, just about every computer you can think of that was relatively uh, popular back in the 80s is running on it as well including the apple II and the commodore i think it runs a bunch of atari stuff as well the amiga Uh, and it's again simulating that stuff through an fpga chip so you've got a much more accurate uh, timing to things and there's a real community coming up around this Uh, we talked about uh, smoke monsters channel uh, a week or two ago he's been really active in trying to get the community to come together and focused on this project so this is gonna be a fun thing and what's cool about this is that You don't need all the parts that you see here. You can actually get started with just the first board in the stack here. Uh, So we'll kind of step through all of the different components that go into MISTER and what you can do with it. And this is one of these fun things that I'm really uh, eager to start playing with. So stay tuned, I finally got all my parts in so we can do this step-by-step process and see what uh, it all does. But I'm really excited to start uh, working on that. We're also hopefully gonna get to my review of the new Mac Mini and I would love to get some of your thoughts on it as well, so let me know what you'd like to see down below in the comment thread about that, and once I get that review done, we can get Corey on it now, and he can get his new computer going. He's very excited to start using it, so uh, stay tuned for all of that stuff. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lawntv slash support and make a monthly or one-time contribution to the channel. We also have my Plex uh, thing going still, so you can sign up for a free Plex account, no credit card required, and we get a small commission. We get a slightly larger commission if you sign up for a Plex pass or gift it to somebody else. There are other places you can find me as well. we have got my extras channel at lon.tv slash extras. The podcast is at lon.tv slash podcast for audio versions of this. Uh, the Snippets channel just crossed a thousand subscribers this week. I take portions of this show and upload it to that one uh, in a more search-friendly format uh, Format. So that's what we do over there on the Snippets channel. And then we have my live stream archive at lon.tv slash live streams where you can watch the live stream I just did and many others that I have done in the past as well. And if you like what I do, I do suggest clicking on that bell to get notified every time I do anything here on the channel. So please do that if you uh, don't want to miss anything. I'm thinking about actually also creating, um, genre specific playlist email notifications. So if you're into set top boxes, for example, and that's all you like to see from me, I'm gonna have a link that you can click on, sign up for an email uh, there, and anytime I add a video to the set top box playlist, for example, it'll send you out a notification. So let me know if that's something you're interested in because uh, I know people watch me for different reasons, and I want to make sure nobody misses anything. Uh, but we also have my general email at lawn.tv/email. So if you sign up for that, I send out an email newsletter maybe once every three or four months or so. We have my Facebook group at lawn.tv/facebook group, where we talk about uh, things that we talk about here on the channel as a community. We have the Facebook page at lawn.tv/facebook for. Uh, more video from me. I usually upload uh, these uh, snippets from this show over there along with all my reviews and all my other stuff. I'm part of their monetization program now, so we're building up a Facebook presence as well. And we have my store at lawntv slash store where I sell things that I've previously reviewed on the channel. And if you want an alert about that, you can sign up for my store alert email and you'll get a notification every time I add something to the store or adjust pricing and that sort of thing. Uh, still available is the Amazon Fire 8-inch Tablet it hasn't sold yet. So, if you're interested in that, uh, let me know, make me an offer. We'll try to get it moving because I'm trying to get the inventory cleared out. I've got more stuff I'm going to be adding on very shortly there as well. And that's going to do it for this week's weekly wrap up. I want to thank you all for your continued viewership and comments. All of that stuff means a lot. It really helps us get the channel directed in the right direction. So, a great example is that Mac Mini review. Any uh, feedback before I start shooting it would be really helpful in having a comprehensive look at that product. So, please. Uh, Do let me know down in the comments below and keep all those comments coming. I do read all of them. I don't have a chance to, unfortunately, reply to everyone anymore, but I am reading them all, and it does go into what we factor in here for coverage and uh, some of the things that we do for planning as well. So definitely keep all that coming. Thank you all for your continued support, and I will see you later on this week. Until next time, this is Lon Sibin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including gold level supporters, Chris Allegretta. The Four Guys with Quarters podcast. Tom Albrecht. Too Much Sauce. Gerard Newberg. And Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit TV slash s.